The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon, and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. You know, there's a lot of information out there right now about how to lower your stress, how to raise your joy level, how to increase your abundance, and live from what some would call the higher self, which, of course, means we got to do something with that lower self. There's also other talk that tells us about what it will be like in heaven after we die. The problem with all of this talk is that we don't seem to realize that we already are in heaven. We just don't know it. Heaven is within us, but our trance state of duality keeps us from seeing this. And all the morals and codes for our thoughts, feelings, and behaviors only serve to keep us stuck in the trance state. And all the advice that basically tells us to strive to be a better person only serves the same purpose. It keeps us stuck in the trance state. So today, not only will we be playing a clip from Oprah's next Super Soul Sunday with Brian Weiss, but we'll be figuring out how to inhabit heaven now all based on my new upcoming book entitled Inhabiting Heaven Now. I don't have a publication date yet for that book, and as soon as I do, you will know about it. But the book is uh, uh, in the process of being published as we speak, So, um, and it's going to be published by the same publisher that published my last book, uh, John Hunt Publishing, so I'm real excited about that and want to share with you a little sort of teaser today about the book, and not just about the book, but about the concepts in the book, which have to do with Inhabiting Heaven Now. So why are we not inhabiting heaven now? Well, some would tell us it's because we're not thinking right thoughts and we're not believing right beliefs and we're not um, living in gratitude and we're not doing this and that and the other. And if we did, we would feel better. And if we felt better, we would know that this was this life was here on planet Earth is a pretty good life and we have a lot to be rejoicing in. I can't say I disagree with any of that. However... It keeps us in that mode of striving, and as you recall from many of my other shows, um, the idea that I put forth out there is the same one that's put forth by in the Old Testament in, in the book of Psalm that says, Cease striving and know that I am God, which I interpret to mean cease striving to know that I am, that Andrea Matthews is, that you are God, divine. And so... Uh, when we see striving, we come, what comes forth, what manages to become apparent to us is what some would call the Christ nature. Others would call the Buddha nature. Others would call divine self. Um, so in, in the process of being able to recognize the truth of reality, the real reality that we are living in heaven right now, we have to first begin to see striving. But that goes against the grain because we, live in a shame-based world. We live in a world where we are literally motivated to do many of the things we do based in shame. We get up in the morning at a certain time because, in part, because to not get up at that time would be 
yeah, people might make fun of us, or they might think we were lazy, or they might think X, Y, or Z. We wear our hair and our clothes a certain way because they might think something of us if we don't. We try to dress in a certain fashionable way and, and put ourselves forth in a certain social way because that's the way our particular uh, subculture within the culture within the culture works. Um, they accept us if we do that. And so we have sacrificed huge chunks of who we are. And matter of fact, for many of us, we've sacrificed an entire awareness of who we are based on the idea that if we don't, other people will not accept us. And uh, in fact, it's my theory uh, that you have seen in my first book, Restoring My Soul, that, uh, that we have given up our authenticity way early when we were even infants because we were picking up nonverbal information from our family systems, particularly our primary caretakers, that sort of informed us of what they needed us to be to fit into this family dynamic. Um, There are some theorists who say that 95% of the communication that we have is actually nonverbal, and there's others who say that it's about 58%. So somewhere between 58 and 98%, we speak a lot nonverbally. And that uh, that if you you are nonverbal, if you're a child who's nonverbal, then you're going to my guess would be you'd be picking it up a lot more. So whatever is communicated in body language and in tone of voice and in little subtle movements of the mouth and the eyes, a baby, an infant, a child, a toddler might pick up and identify with as in, that's who I am. Oh, that's what I have to be to fit into this family dynamic. And so we sacrifice our authenticity to fit in uh, based upon the expectations we're receiving through that nonverbal communication from our families. Now, does that mean our families are bad? No, they're doing what they got taught to do and they got taught to do and they got taught to do down through the generations. Our ancestors have been doing this for ad nausea. So it, the, the, in terms of being able to find who we are authentically, that's sort of unlearning the messages we got and being courageous enough to say, I've got to be me more than I need to please you. And that courage usually comes for most of us after, <coughs> excuse me, some kind of event that informs us that to be without ourselves any longer would be too much devastation, too much sorrow. Um, we've given up too much of ourselves for whatever cause, and we must absolutely must have it back. And that that brings us to the courage that says, "Okay." It's time to do the work now. So based in that shame ethic, we have come up with lots of codes for our behavior. And those codes tell us what we're supposed to look like, what we're supposed to act like, how we're supposed to dress, uh, where we're, how we're supposed to think, um, what time to get up in the morning, what, what time to be at work, what time to um, have lunch, what time to have our meals, what time to go to bed. Uh, it tells us what things to watch on TV, what things we shouldn't watch on TV. It tells us... Uh, a myriad of things besides the Ten Commandments. Uh, you know, we tend to think that, well, in, in a Western world, the Ten Commandments are the bottom line. Well, we disobey those all the time in favor of obeying what time, what TV show we're supposed to watch. <laughs> so, so uh, you know, I don't know how much validity they have much in America anymore. Not that I think they ever really did have that much of an impact because, you know, obviously if they were meant to help us stop sinning, it has not worked. Um, and my theory, along with many other people, including the uh, writers of The Course in Miracle, is that there is no such thing as sin. 
that sin is a, an illusion that we made up because uh, we needed to believe we're separate from the divine. And those of you who've been listening to my show for a while know that I believe that we live in a duality trance state that we took on uh, at the Garden of Eden when we first ate of the tree of knowledge of good and evil because that tree of knowledge of good and evil is all about duality. Uh, We incorporated into the body-mind an idea that we were separate from the divine and as in so doing we had to have something that made us separate from the divine and that idea was that we were evil and the divine was good. And we have lived out of that paradigm for so many centuries that it's almost basic to everything else we do. Um, everything in our world is run in some fashion by some kind of uh, portion of the continuum that has to do with the great battle between what's called good and evil. So these codes that we come up with, they have to do with some kind of archetypal understanding of what evil is so evil is the opposite of good and good is the opposite of evil and we typically we only define good in terms of how it isn't evil so if i'm good then i haven't done anything evil i might be able to do a lot uh of things and and some other people so i might even say it's not really great stuff that i'm doing but if i haven't done a lot of evil then i'm an okay person Um, Most of us try to live somewhere in the middle between the two poles of that continuum between good and evil so that we're not too good, so that people won't dislike us because we're what goody two-shoes, and we're not too bad so that people won't like us because we're really bad. So we want to sort of stay right there in that middle ground so that people will like us and we'll be acceptable to ourselves and the world. And uh, so we don't really do too much that's really, really what other people would call extremely good, such as what most people think of in terms of good as great sacrifice of self. Uh, That's considered to be very, very good uh, in some circles. And we don't do too much. We don't go around serial killing either. So that would be the opposite pole. So um, we don't pray too much. We don't go to church too much. We don't do too much that's really, or a temple or mosque, whatever. We don't do too much that's going to make us look like we're in extremely good we don't do too much that makes us look extremely bad and therefore we're doing we're doing our lives based on that whole shame paradigm the bottom foundational line of uh, our western ethic which is you should be ashamed of yourself if you x y and z Um, and so we live our lives based on the acceptance we get from that from being able to stay in that middle ground other people uh, need to identify with good so that um, so they try really hard to do all the things that are considered by their particular culture to be good um, and uh, in the process they are trying to compensate for a deep-seated feeling of being bad so I must be very very good so I don't feel this very bad feeling I have inside so it's a compensation for shame on the other hand there are people who identify with bad and uh, we tend to think of these people as bad people. They are evil people. They do horrible things. Therefore, they must be evil. And so we can just sort of wash our hands of it and say, oh, well, you are evil. And that's all I need to do is think that you're evil. And I don't have to think about that anymore. That keeps us, of course, from really considering the pain, uh, the enormity of the pain that is caused by these people. It's a, and the enormity of the pain that these people are actually in themselves. Uh, it does. We don't have to go very deep when we can just call somebody de- yeah, evil or good. Uh, but here's the thing: good and evil are paradigms that we have made up. 
there is no clear definition of good. It's different for different cultures and different subcultures within different cultures. And the same is true of bad. For example, we think, we well, the Old Testament uh, uh, Ten Commandments that say, Thou shalt not kill. Well, you, you shouldn't kill except if this or that or the other. You can't, you can kill in war. And, you know, if, if somebody, uh, really hurts you and you need to defend yourself, well, you can kill then. And you could kill if somebody came in your house and tried to rob you. And you could kill if, um, you, maybe you could even kill if you got really, really, really mad at somebody because they'd done something really nasty to you or your family. Yeah, that'd be okay too. So what is it about not killing now? When is it that we can't kill? And what about in the Old Testament, the the same uh, God that's given the name of God, which um, we've had other discussions about that name and will again. Um, what does that mean in terms of, uh, of what God did? God ordered the death of many, many uh, people. So, and some of the people were murdered in horrible ways, little children being having their brains bashed out against walls that's horrendous i mean it's horrific to even think about but that's what happened and uh they it was supposedly happening under the constraints of divine rule so what does it mean again to not kill not so sure anymore it gets a little blurry when we get down to really putting it into action so what is good and what is bad is up for grabs but what is true and what is false, that we might get a little closer to. I'm not sure we can get totally close to that either, but we might get a little closer to true and false than we can to what is good and bad. So in that vein, uh, what's happened is we've come up with some sort of social mores uh, that we honor more than we honor anything like the, the, the Old Testament Ten Commandments. And these codes are, 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 are ingrained in us from, from infancy on. One of these that is extremely powerful is this one. Don't be selfish. Don't be selfish. So what does that mean? It means don't ever do anything that somebody might consider that you're doing it because of yourself. You're doing it because you need to do it. Um, And basically what that comes down to is you shouldn't really be thinking about yourself a whole lot because if you're thinking about yourself, well... You're not really uh, being unselfish, and we're supposed to be unselfish. There are people who tell us that we are put here to serve others. Okay, well, then how am I supposed to take care of myself if I'm put here to serve only others? Not so sure that's accurate, but that's what a lot of people think. They're not supposed to think about themselves at all. Um, and, And so it becomes true that the word selfish is used more effectively as a manipulative tool than anything else. Um, so if I want you to do something uh, that I think I need for you to do, all I have to do to get you to do it is tell you you're selfish if you don't. And you go, oh, well, I can't be selfish, so let me go ahead and do that. Um, so the idea is that um, being selfish is this h- horribly immoral thing. And, and many, many, many people live out of that, oh, no, I can't be selfish kind of thinking. And what that essentially does is foreclose on the authentic self so I can't be thinking about myself I can't have needs I can't have compassion for myself I can't love myself those are all egotistical things to do no 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 I can't have that I need to be thinking about other people and serving other people at all times there if I don't then I must be some kind of bad person another one is feel guilty it's good for you now 
what has happened here is we've gotten conscience mixed up with guilt. We decided sometime, long time ago, that if you had a guilty conscience, your guilty conscience was informing you of something you should do better, that you should be a better person, that you should change your behavior to fit more with the mores of society. You should do something about this, and your guilt feeling was directing you to do that. And so we have been taught, literally, to listen to our guilt, that it is supposedly helping us create a narrow path to walk down so that we will be good, upright, moral people. Um, But that is not true. Guilt is a very poor director, is a very poor guide for our spiritual existence because what it does is it closes us down, it narrows our thought, it skims off the surface of, of anything that has to do with uh, holism and truth and peace of mind and it says, you know, here's the limit. If you start to feel guilty, you know you've gone too far. And in that process, what happens is we don't ever walk through guilt to get to the other side to find out that actually guilt was the lie. Guilt was the lie because you know where guilt leads is to shame. And guilt says, I've done something wrong. Shame says, I am something wrong. And it doesn't take too much guilt to get you to shame. A lot, you know, if, if I feel guilty about this, that, and the other, I mean, it could be something as simple as, well, I didn't, um, I didn't do what my mother wanted me to do when she called this morning and wanted me to come rushing over to her house because she spilled milk on the counter. I'm making this up, of course, but the idea is if I'm supposed to be serving other people, I should have gone over there and I might feel this tremendous guilt if I don't. And and if I, if I don't do it and I manage to walk through that guilt to the, get to the other side, then I might get more reasonable. I might get more clear, clear on the truth that if I am compassionate, then that's enough. Compassion is enough to get us to the path of, of what some would call right living, what I would call true living. Um, compassion is enough by itself. My passion and my compassion are enough of a guide. I don't need guilt. Okay? So feel guilty, it's good for you is another one of those codes we live out of. Uh, and, and, it, and it's false. There's another one that says there's a right and there's a wrong that's a false code, and yet we live out of it. And you hear people saying it all the time. Well, there's a right way and a wrong way to do things, right? Wrong. <laughs> the truth is that right and wrong are relative terms, and they're based in uh, the moment. They're based in our culture. They're based in our society. They're based in our religion. They aren't based in authenticity. And that's what we're trying to get to here is something more authentic. So we're going to be talking a little bit more about these codes, and then we're going to talk about what it is that we're going to do with these codes in order to be able to inhabit heaven now, here on planet Earth, because we can. So stay tuned for that. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Healing from the Heart is the show that focuses on freeing the heart by releasing the hidden energies that keep it from doing what the heart was created to do, give and receive love. Every week, your host, Chris Chimbers, an energetic healing practitioner, will explore different aspects of his work, interview leading healers, respond to listeners' questions, and even do some live sessions on air. 
Tune in Thursdays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, for Healing from the Heart on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Step into the doorway to conscious choice, greater health, and well-being. Attain the balance that you've been seeking. Tune in and turn on 1111 Talk Radio. Feed the mind. Embrace positively. Release the tension. Step out of fear. Host Simran Singh will help you broaden your mind and open your heart toward a greater understanding of how to take charge of your life. 1111 Talk Radio is here every Thursday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, 4 p.m. Pacific Time on 7th Wave Network. 1111 Talk Radio. Because shift happens. There's a course offered on 7th Wave Network that you never saw offered in college. One that provides information on how to transform ancient wisdom teachings into everyday life. You'll learn how to create from your spirit and explore the world with all of your senses. Participation is encouraged. Enroll in Spirituality 101, the course you can't afford to miss with your host, Reverend Norma. Class is in session every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time, in your favorite classroom, 7th Wave Network. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be extraordinary. Be the change. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free. 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back with the Authentic Living Show, talking today about how to inhabit heaven now. You know, the Authentic Living Show is sponsored by the American Institute of Holistic Theology. You may wonder what the terms holistic theology mean. Well, theology is the study of the divine, and holistic theology is a holistic study of the divine that includes all religions and even transcends religions to get to the mystical core of them all. The American Institute of Holistic Theology offers doctorate, master's, and ministerial bachelor's degrees, chaplaincy programs with internship, NBCC-approved continuing education, an ordination program for those interested, and a brand-new Ph.D. program in holistic theology. AIHT's programs include degrees in the following, holistic theology, offering as terminal degrees both a Th.D. and a Ph.D., holistic ministries, holistic health and spiritual care, metaphysical spirituality, and alternate spiritual traditions, which includes in-depth studies of the paranormal. Using a home study model for distance learning, the student of AIHT gets a thorough education in the field that fulfills and offers a chance to authenticate a unique gift for the world. AIHT is a real educational program where you will get a real learning experience in a broad spectrum of educational endeavors, utilizing as your text-writing teachers spiritual experts from all over the world. And right now, AIHT is running a special program in which if you email in before July 1st, you can get a free course. Just email Beverly Love at AIHT and put win a free course in the subject line. If your letter is drawn, you will win a free course in which you can try out the education you receive at AIHT. The big deal is that facilitating your dream is AIHT's mission. All you have to do to enroll is either go to www.aiht.edu 
or contact Admissions Director Beverly Love at 800-650-4325 or beverlylove at aiht.edu. Again, if you'd like to enroll right now, pick up the phone and call 800-650-4325 to learn how to fulfill your deepest longings for a fulfilling career serving others using your own unique gift. So as I said, we're talking about today how we might inhabit heaven now. But in order to do that, we have to first understand that the codes that we live by that are really all about shame have nothing whatsoever to do with how we get there. There are so many people that are out there telling us right now to be better people, to live more morally, to do the correct thing, to operate more out of more goodness, to to even be willing so much to sacrifice ourselves to other people. But I'm here to tell you, that's not how we inhabit heaven. Inhabiting heaven now is all about inhabiting our inner self now, the divine self, the part of us that is not disconnected from the divine at all in fact is a constituent part of the divine a constituent part of the wholeness that is divine energy so we're not going to get there by trying to outdo our shame by trying to follow some kind of code one of the codes and as a matter of fact that we we follow is you ought to be ashamed children hear that all the time maybe less now than they used to but they still hear it So you ought to be ashamed says that being ashamed is a good thing. I can't tell you how much I disagree with that. Shame is no way to live. And yet we all live motivating ourselves by that very thing. Because if we, if others find out our secret or find out that we don't look good in the morning or find out that we're what we look like when we're not wearing our makeup or find out, you know, how we really like to think, then, uh uh-oh, they won't accept us anymore. And that means what? Not a thing. (laughs) It means not a thing. And yet, because we all long for belonging with other people, we want to be accepted by other people. And so we'll do just about anything to do that, including give up our authenticity. And when we give up our authenticity, we are also giving up the privilege, the power, and the purpose of living in heaven right here, right now, on planet Earth, in our own bones, in our own skin. We're going to talk some more about that in a little bit. And you also need to know we've got that clip coming up um, from Oprah's upcoming Super Soul Sunday show as well. So, you ought to be ashamed. No, you ought not be ashamed. That's what I say about that. Uh, Another idea we have that we pass around is be loyal to first to duty. If we are loyal to duty, we are considered to be good people. People who do their duty are good people. People who are obligated to the gills and fulfill those obligations are good, moral, upright people, right? Wrong. They're fake. Sorry, but they are. Living out of obligation is not real. Living out of passion and compassion is real. And only when we start to live out of what is real inside of us can we and be able to live in our own internal heaven. Another one, power is bad. We, we tend to think that power means power over other people. That if I have power over other people, then I've got control. I've influenced them. And it's so hard for us to imagine that we have absolutely, utterly, completely zero power over other people. We have no influence over other people. We cannot influence change in the world. 
No, we can't. We can change ourselves. We have absolute power over ourselves. We have the, uh, the power to be able to choose what we're going to do with our time, our energy, our emotions, our thoughts, our beliefs, our bodies, our minds, our souls, our strength, everything. We have power over that. We have zero power over other people, and we have it just exactly backwards. We believe that we must control other people by pleasing them, by manipulating them, by trying to get them to do certain things, by trying to get them to behave in certain ways, by trying to get them to be healed, to be helped, to be you know, empowered, to be all these things we try to get other people to do so that they will in turn make us happy by doing what we've asked them to do. <laughs> And that is such a real stretch. We're reaching outside of ourselves in order to make our insides happy. When we've got the capacity right here, right now, to reach inside of ourselves to make ourselves happy. And that's what we need to be doing. So what's happened is we've externalized externalized our lives in hopes that somebody else out there is going to make us happy. When in fact, it's all an inside job. It's all an inside job. Every bit of it. So power isn't bad. Power is just misused because it's an illusion. We think we have power over other people. We don't. If uh, uh, President Obama walked in the room right now and said, Andrea, you have to go do something, so-and-so, I would still have a choice about whether or not I was going to do that. There might be consequences for my choice, but I still have the choice. Okay? And that's just something we don't get most of the time. The fin- one of the final ones in our codes today is that the culture is Right? The culture is right. Okay, the culture is right when it tells me to eat so little that I starve myself in order to be skinny so I can make other people like me. Seriously? The culture is right when it tells me, it gives me all kinds of mixed messages about my behavior. Don't kill. Yes, maybe we'll kill this time, but not this time. Um, the culture is right when it gives me double binds that say um, that I should be ashamed of myself, but that I should feel good about myself at the same time. Really? The culture is right? No. The culture is very confused. Okay, so these codes that we've lived out of as if they were true have nothing to do with how we can live. But when it comes down to heaven, we think in terms of right and wrong. We think in terms of if I'm a good person, then I can live in heaven Um, because heaven comes with all these connotations. Let's call it nirvana. Call it uh, call it the Buddha nature. Call it the Christ nature. Call it the kingdom of God. Call it the kingdom of heaven. Call it inner self. Call it whatever you want to call it. It is within you, and it has everything to do with you living from that place, not from any other place. Because it's a consciousness of who you actually are. And who are you? Well, I take a lot of this from the Bible. And the reason I do is because so many people use the Bible to propagate the idea, this idea that we have to do certain things in order to get there. Um, So I'm using the Bible kind of a little bit against itself here. So I hope you'll pardon me, but I think it has to be done. What did Jesus say about uh, who we were? He said, you are the salt of the earth. And he was talking to a whole group of people, not just the disciples. He was talking to a whole population of people. Uh, and what he said is, you are the salt of the earth. He did not say you can become the salt of the earth. If you're good, you can be the salt of the earth. He didn't say any of that. He said, you already are the salt of the earth. But then he added, but if the salt has become tasteless, how will it become salty again? It's good for nothing anymore except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Then he said, you are the light of the world. He did not say, turn on your light. You've forgotten, you know, your light is off. He didn't say that. He said, you are 
already the light of the world. But he also said, a city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do men light a lamp and put, in a peck, put it under a peck measure, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. So let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Do I do not think I came to abolish the law of the prophets? I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. <clears throat> so nothing I'm saying here today says that that... You know, we made up all these rules and, and so we're bad people. What I am saying, however, is that to fulfill the law is to live as if, to live as we are divine beings, because we are. Because, here's the final thing he says in that Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. He says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. What in the world is he saying? And at the end of the other one, he says, be perfect even as your heavenly Father is perfect. What in the world is he saying? Can we possibly do that? No, we can't. Or at least that's what it looks like. But if we look at the other uh, parts of that sermon, one of the things he does in there with tongue in cheek, tongue firmly planted in cheek, he says things like, you have heard the ancients have said, you shall not commit murder, and whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry at his brother shall be guilty before the court. You've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks on a woman to lust after her has committed adultery already in his heart. And if your eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you, for it's better for you that one of the parts of your body perish than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. What does that mean? Well, we take it to mean, well, here's a bunch of new rules. Here's a bunch of new ways that we have to behave. Not only do we have to control our behavior, but now we have to control our thoughts and our words. And that's what so many people are trying to get us to do right now. Control your thoughts. Watch your thoughts. Be careful of your thoughts. Thoughts come from beliefs. It's not our thoughts we need to worry about. <laughs> so, uh, so what he's saying there is that... You know you're not going to throw out your right eye if it makes you stumble. You're not going to uh, tear out the part of your body that, that is uh, making you sin. You're not going to do that. What he's saying there is you can't behave yourself enough. The rules cannot do it enough to get you to heaven. You cannot find the internal heaven that you are as a salt of the earth and the light of the world by trying to follow some rule. That's what he's trying to say. And he's saying it in a sort of mocking way to say, you know, you can't, you can't do this. You're not going to be able to make this happen. And yet, what do we do? We turned his speech into a bunch, an, another bunch of rules. <laughs> oh, now I'm not supposed to divorce my wife or my husband. Oh, now if I do that, I make them sin too. Um, now I'm supposed to let people slap me on my left cheek if they slap me on my right. We take all this very literally. What he's really saying is, if you're going to obey the law and you're going to think that's going to get you there, then you have to make it work inside of you as well as outside of you. But guess what? It won't. It won't ever work that way. Why? Because the righteousness that he uses there and the word righteous does not mean righteous in the way we think of it. It means literally only Christ truly. The word means only Christ truly. You could substitute Buddha there. Only Buddha truly. Only Krishna truly. Only Brahman truly. You know, you can substitute anything you want in there. 
to, that has to do with divine self. But it means only the spirit of your soul truly. That's what righteousness is. Righteousness is the spirit of your soul activated in terms of actually doing the behaviors that go with, that are in alignment with your deepest, truest nature, which is your divine self. So if you're acting in your divine self, what will happen? Well, first is that we transform. We no longer feel ashamed of who we are. We no longer feel that we have to operate out of shame. We no, we no longer operate in terms of what the world thinks of us. We operate out of what is true inside of us. And that truth is the same thing Jesus said to the uh, woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well, when he said there'll come a time when we worship in spirit and in truth. He didn't say in law and obedience. He said in spirit and in truth. So now, why do I use that text instead of the Bhagavad Gita? Because the Bhagavad Gita is so clear. The Bhagavad Gita says you are divine self. (laughs) Jesus also says, does your scripture not tell you that you are God's? But we don't pay much attention to that scripture. Why? Because it's a little scary for us to think that maybe that the guy who's really trying to show us about what life is really all about is telling us that we're divine beings. But what if he was? What if he came here not to die for our sins, but to show us that what our lives could be like if we lived fully aware of who we are as divine beings? What if we've got it all backwards because we live entranced with duality? that says God is separate from us in a faraway, rarefied world where it's all joy and peace and we're evil people living down here in this hellish suffering. Okay? Now I'm going to tell you one more thing. There's a passage in the book of Revelations that talks about um, it being uh, the devil, supposedly the devil being thrown into the lake of fire. But when you look at the... We have can analyze the word devil too and it actually means our own inner material that we haven't dealt with yet but the the word hell means harbor it means a harbor of fire fire being the same as god uh uh, the fire of love that's what's that's where it's all thrown it's thrown into the lake that is a harbor for our souls it's not thrown into hell in terms of some eternal place we go to after we die because we haven't accepted some creed or dogma. So so here's what I'm saying. I'm saying that the the words that we have used that we have taken literally can actually be translated based down in their root language that tell us how we might live in heaven right now. And it has nothing to do with whether or not we follow some rule. It has nothing to do with righteousness in the terms that we think of it. It has nothing to do with whether or not we can please other people or be seen as good. It has nothing whatsoever to do with sacrifice because the same guy that we say died for our sins as a great sacrifice for us also said that God loves mercy, not sacrifice. So what's really happening here is that we're being informed that we already are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. We already are divine beings. We've just forgotten. And so lifetime after lifetime after lifetime, we're being reminded a little bit at a time about who we are. And we're going to talk some more about that right after the break, as well as hear a clip from uh, Oprah's Super Soul Sunday series coming up next Sunday. Stay tuned for that. 
is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Being Here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss Being Here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane, right here on the 7th Wave Network. If you are looking to shift from struggle to a life of alignment with your deepest truth, you'll want to tune in to Thresholds to Awakening with host Sway Emily Spilkin. Our program will help you discover that your deepest challenges are not mistakes, but opportunities to become who you really are. Thresholds to Awakening. Enter your darkness to find your light, where Sway speaks with spiritual luminaries, cutting-edge thought leaders, and experts in the field of transformation. Listen live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Many of us make choices in our lives based on how others react. But what should really matter is making our life choices based on what we intuitively feel. By tuning in to The Mystic and the Mystery with Inspired Intuition hosts Beth Porozhik and Christine McIver, you'll receive the tools and inspiration you need to do just that. Your fears do not have to drive you, and you are naturally intuitive, creative, and whole. By believing in yourself, you can live the life you've been longing for. Listen for The Mystic and the Mystery every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back talking today about how we might live in heaven right now on planet Earth. Most of us consider that to be an impossibility because we tend to think of that heaven as that rarefied world of bliss where there's no suffering in which we only attain after we have died and our souls go to heaven. Or uh, And in, in some um, Eastern religions, there's a state of nirvana. In others, there's a state in which we live in divine self as Bhagavad Gita. Uh, but those are not considered to be afterlife so much, uh, although there are theories about heaven in Eastern religions as well. But in the Eastern religions, it's easier for us, for them to conceptualize the possibility that we might be able to live in a state of bliss or live in a state where we understand uh, less suffering. We, we, get, we get less suffering here on this side of, of living. So how does that come to be? I believe it comes to be lifetime after lifetime so that every life is a success. There's another passage also found in the Bible in Isaiah 55:11 that says my word shall not return to me empty. Typically that seemed to mean that the word of God, the the Bible will not return to God empty. 
Um, but uh, I translate it differently based on the root language there, uh, meaning that the word is a spirit. It's, a, it's the divine essence of who we are. It will not return to its creator empty. It will accomplish what it came to accomplish. And that means every single solitary life that is lived here on planet Earth accomplishes what it came to accomplish. And we might look at that and say, oh my gosh, that's impossible. Look at all the people that are doing terrible things. Are you really telling me that Hitler is uh, accomplished what he came to accomplish? Really, that was a good thing he did? No, I, good, bad, ugly, I don't use those terms. What I, what I do say is that regardless of what he did, he got what he came here to get. There was some learning experience that he was supposed to attain, and he got it. And he will take that with him into the next life, and the next, and the next, and the next. And yes, even he will attain to a place, ultimately, reincarnation after reincarnation, in which he begins to see himself as a divine being. That will happen to all of us. There will not be a failed experience. I look at how we typically see um, um, the scriptures as they're talked about in Western culture typically and, and uh, I, I see this sort of miserable failed God that, that says, well, gee, I wish I could make people do what I want them to do and sure am failing at that, so I guess I'm going to have to send them to eternal hell. What? I mean, that, that whole concept is filled with poor God. You know, poor God, he can't get us to do anything right, so I guess he has to send us away. You know, but clearly it says in that same book that everybody uses, my word will not return to me empty without accomplishing that which I sent it to accomplish. That's what Isaiah fifty five eleven says. So how can that be true? Well, it can be true if we say that the, that the words that are written in that book called the Bible is the word. But if it is the Spirit, it is the Spirit that was Christ, it, was the, it is the Spirit that is God, it is the Spirit in each one of us, if that's what it is, it has a whole other meaning. So uh, when we consider the possibility of living and worshiping in, in Spirit and in truth, that is heaven. That where we begin to really walk through a day accepting and receiving from our inner world what is really truth. Not just looking externally for validation and approval, which is what how most of us live, but rather looking internally, not for validation and approval, but for joy and love, for peace, for promise, for just the ability to be able to be present with ourselves. That very presence process is one in which we build more and more into the flow of I am that I am that I am that I am. I am Ipsaity. I am uh, and always will be eternally me. <laughs> so that is ultimate authenticity. And that is what we all have at our bottom line core being. We all have that same authenticity. And in, in, in terms of reincarnation, which um, Oprah is going to be talking to Dr. Brian Weiss coming up this next Super Soul Sunday about reincarnation. In terms of reincarnation, what that might mean is that 
in this life I came to get this thing, and I'm going to get this thing, regardless of whatever else I'm doing, whatever else I'm choosing, somehow that's going to factor into how it is that I'm getting this thing that I came here to get. So if I came to get some little increment of unconditional love, then I'm going to get that this time around. And the next time I'll add a little more to that, and the next time a little more to that, and the next time a little more to that, until I finally begin to wake up to who I am. Why did I go to sleep in the first place? Well, I believe we went to sleep in the first place because we were trying that great experience of of merging form with formlessness. Once upon a time, there was no such thing as form. Everything was formless and void. And then form was created. And then what happened was we decided to experiment with what that meant. What does it mean to be informed? Does that mean we're separate from formlessness? Or can we be one with formlessness? Well, we chose to experiment with separation from formlessness. And everything we've done ever since then has been all about trying to get ourselves to unite form with formlessness. In order to do that, we have to answer all the questions of separation. Every question that has to do with how we're living here on planet Earth has to do with, can we be united with form? Can we be form and formlessness simultaneously? The answer is yes, but we haven't gotten there yet in our conscious experience, in our experiencing knowledge, which is what the tree of knowledge of good and evil means. So in terms of reincarnation... Reincarnation is coming back into another life. It means ending one sphere of existence in a a kind of body that metaphorizes that sphere, sphere of existence and moving to another sphere of existence in another body that metaphorizes a whole other kind of um, experience. So why do we trade bodies? Well, because we're metaphorizing an experience. And um, so when we talk about reincarnation, one of our, uh, one of our leading psychiatrists uh, that did some real groundbreaking work uh, and authored a best-selling book called Many Lives, Many Masters uh, will tell Oprah about how he came to practice past life regression therapy that puts us more in touch with those other lives in, his, in the upcoming show on June the 2nd for Super Soul Sunday. So here's the clip from that. The number one social series on Sunday mornings, Super Soul Sunday, nominated for another daytime Emmy. It's where like-minded people gather to have the conversations that really matter. Tweet along with Oprah. On the next episode, psychiatrist and worldwide best-selling author, Dr. Brian Weiss, his journey from skeptic to believer. You didn't always believe in reincarnation. I didn't believe in it at all. What do you know now about past lives? Super Soul Sunday, all new next Sunday, 11 a.m., 10 Central. 11 a.m., 10 Central. Don't miss it. Super Soul Sunday, one of my favorite shows. I watch it religiously. Um, and it's a very special kind of uh, way to spend your, your Sunday morning in your pajamas and with a cup of coffee in front of your TV with you and Oprah and Brian Weiss. So don't miss it. And uh, you guys know that we've had Dr. Weiss on our show before talking about reincarnation and what that really meant. So um, he is a very powerful being uh, that comes across very gently and uh, with a great deal of confidence. And I really encourage you to listen to that show because he'll have a lot to say to us about what it means to reincarnate. And, and we were talking about reincarnation just before that clip. The idea that we might come back into another life and gain a little bit more that would add to another 
what we've already gained in a previous life is not how we typically think of reincarnation. We typically think of reincarnation as you're coming back to pay for what you did last time. And you might get a reward if you were good, and you might get punished if you were bad. And that is right along the lines of the duality trance state that keeps us believing that there's a good and a bad, a wrong and a right, and that we must follow a certain path in order to to uh, to be okay and not have to repeat it again in another life or not have to go to hell, depending on our particular religious persuasion. Um, what I've said here today is that I used some of the passages from the Bible and do so in my upcoming book um, called Inhabiting Heaven Now that uh, that it would seem that I would use the Bible against itself, but, but actually what I'm doing is interpreting from the uh, direct translation of the root language, not necessarily the language that um, has been selected. Because if you think about any one word that you might find, there are several different ideological meanings, and which one we choose for that would be based on the context that we're using it in, as well as our own persuasion about what it might mean, as well as our own connotations, etc., etc., etc. So we can see how these words might get mistranslated. Um, and, of course, I could be mistranslating them too. Words on a paper are not going to be the same as spirit. That's why the word doesn't mean uh, words on a paper. It means the spirit, the essence of who we are. Um, so uh, I use that text, however, because uh, it is the very text that is being used so much by so many people, both Christian, non-Christian, uh, and otherwise, even atheists, because to to sort of persuade themselves not to believe, because it says so much that seems to be contradictory. But what what we find when we look at the root language is this is not contradictory at all. It's saying the same stuff over and over again. And that is that we are divine beings. We've forgotten who we are because of the duality trans state. We chose the duality trans state in order to uh, get us to a place where form and formlessness could unite. And we're still on that journey, and we haven't arrived yet. And it has nothing to do with wrong and right, sin or lack thereof. Surely we make choices that we might look back on and go, I wish I hadn't done that. But even that might be part of the alchemical change that's necessary to get us to the next phase in another life with another body that metaphorizes that phase. So uh, when we talk about uh, reincarnation, we usually think of it in terms of karma, there's bad karma and there's good karma, just like there's a heaven and there's a hell. And that keeps us split along the lines of consciousness and unconsciousness because we know that anything that we find to be unacceptable, we're going to send it into the unconscious. So if I've got some, uh, what was we talked about a little while ago, lust in my heart, if I've got some lust in my heart and I think I shouldn't have that, well, I'm going to repress it and I'm going to tell myself I don't really have it. And that is indeed some of the problem with, in my opinion, some of the problem that we're having even today with uh, priests who are celibate, who aren't really able to maintain that celibacy in any kind of real essential spiritual um, truth about themselves. And so they're repressing sexual urges and they come out in these backhanded, ugly ways. So repression does not work. Repression means it's going to come back out in some other way that other people will see and we will still try to deny because we don't want to know that about ourselves. So if I'm repressing, I am only denying uh, my 
the message that perhaps a feeling has to give me that will lead me closer to my authenticity. So we could say, well, what about rage? Isn't that a horrible feeling? Well, it doesn't feel good and it probably doesn't look good when we look at it in somebody else's face. But the truth is that rage is repressed anger that needed to be expressed a long time ago that just stacked up because it got repressed for a long time. And if we could have addressed it earlier, we can we we might have found a solution to a problem and have been able to deal with a problem that would not have gotten us to the point of rage. Once we get to rage, then it needs expression to be able to find out what its central message is. And usually the message has to do with not I'm going to kill you, which is what we tend to think, but rather it has to do with I'm going I need to solve this problem and here's the boundaries and the and the fences and the you know billboards that I need to put up to make that happen. And my anger will help me make that happen because anger is a very strong energy. So we tend to think in, in term, that anger is wrong, but it isn't wrong. It's just an emotion that we haven't learned how to use yet. So in that same way, we've divided the world up into wrongs and rights only because we have. Not, if we could take that wrong and right paradigm off of it completely, we'd find that everything we think is wrong can be useful and everything we think is right can be useful and it's all in how we coalesce it all to to uh, bring us to that orchestrated movement of the alchemical change for the next life and the next and the next and eventually it'll become collective and eventually we'll all be divine self and then what a world it'll be so then we'll all be living in heaven right here right now in form and formlessness simultaneously so that's our show for today Next week, we're going to be talking a little bit more about this same subject in terms of undoing the power of shame. So you don't want to miss that because shame is a powerful, powerful ruler over our lives. And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.